The following is a Pro Football Network podcast, the primary voice for pro football at profootballnetwork.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, we're here. It's the Tuesday edition of Between the Hashes. I don't know why they let us on camera, but we're just going to roll with it. Ali, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. 10 p.m. here. 10 p.m. So. I'm not okay. sure how many people in the UK will be checking us out, but uh, 5, 5 p.m. I believe is prime time in, in your neck of the woods. So let's get to it. Let's We've got plenty to talk about. I'm excited to get into I think we, this is basically is a live look into what mine and yours daily group messages to each other is, right? We're just inviting everyone in to, to listen to what we're talking about on a daily basis and, and shine it through with everyone. I, I can't wait. Yeah, honestly, like guys, if you don't know, like me and Ali, we we do scouting reports every day, and like they're like we'll be watching a guy, and literally, there was a stretch earlier in the season when we were writing up all the people who were like kind of emerging, and you know you watch him, and then I just like I'd send a, a one liner to Ali like this guy's really good, you know, like the, the draft profile obviously has much more in depth information, but it's just like bouncing off of each other. Yeah, his accent is fire, man. I, I've tried to emulate it, and I I can't I can't do it, you know. There's there's no replacement for the real thing. And Ali has it, so I'll leave it to him. But, yeah, really happy to be on here. I know we were bugging Cody about it. Like, hey, we were itching to talk draft all the time, man. It's like it's like a volcano. We're always bursting with that. So it's like now we finally get that chance to, to do it on screen, and I'm, I'm excited to roll through it with you, Ali. But we've wasted enough time with pleasantries. I know uh, there's, there's way too much to talk about, so we'll just get right into it. But uh, first off, I know the Heisman Trophy, the ceremony, was uh, kind of the biggest story last weekend and Bryce Young he was the guy who won an Alabama quarterback I know right we've never seen an Alabama QB win the Heisman Trophy but uh you know I'll 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 bounce off you first because I know a lot of people were kind of getting up in arms about it a little bit you know like it was Bryce Young Kenny Pickett Aiden Hutchinson well actually Hutchinson was the runner-up then Kenny Pickett then CJ Stroud a lot of people thought Will Anderson should win in the running too what were your thoughts about that what what did you think about that because me personally man like I don't really care. They're, they're all super talented players. So I'm not going to like consternate too much about it. Right. Like I think they all had cases and I know you wrote about it for each one of them. Yeah. Hutchinson, dude, he was insane this year. And like Will Anderson too. Like if Hutchinson is in the conversation, I feel like you have to put Anderson in there too. But you know, I feel like you can make a case for all four of these guys. Am I, am I wrong there? That, that's what I thought, but I'm a diplomatic guy. I'll sit on the fence. You'll, as you'll see, in the future like i i it's a it's a problem honestly i need to take a strong stance but here i really didn't care i was like you know whoever wins i'm happy for them honestly and i i had to make uh, strong cases for all four of these guys yeah and when it came down to it it was actually remarkably easy but you mentioned will anderson there i think uh, no one is um fooling themselves into thinking that will anderson probably was the best player in college football this season and i think when a, a guy like bryce young wins the heisman trophy as potentially not even the best guy on his own team. That leaves a little sour note for someone. But what we've we've become accustomed to and what we, you know, we should probably realize by now is very much like the NFL MVP award, the Heisman Trophy is a is a quarterback led award. It's so difficult for a, a guy outside of 
um, the, the quarterback position to, to win. You know, we saw Devontae Smith last year. We've seen guys like Derek Henry in the past. We've seen Mark Ingram. We've, you know, we've seen offensive players that aren't a quarterback win it, but it's still very much a quarterback award. And, and it's definitely not a defensive award. You know, we look at Charles Woodson in 1997, still the only primarily defensive player to win the award. So Aiden Hutchinson was up against it to get to New York as a finalist was fantastic for the guy. And he has had such a remarkable season. And um, I know you, you studied him coming into the season and you could see the talent was there, but it, it wasn't there. Like we've seen Aiden Hutchinson this season. He really has just emerged and developed as a, as a real standout player in college football. But for me of the four guys that were stood up there in the stage on uh, in New York on Saturday, I do think Bryce Young deserved to win it. And I'll tell you why I think he deserved to win it as well. We talk about the four P's with Bryce Young. We talk about poise. We talk about professionalism. talk about precision and placement. Bryce Young has epitomized those four words this season. In in leading an Alabama team to um, the verge of a national championship, essentially, when they, even before the season, it was kind of like, well, Bryce Young's never started before. Can Alabama do it again? They've lost all these weapons. And, and Bryce Young just came out and blew the competition away from me. And you look at how he stacks up to previous Heisman quarterback, uh, quarterback Heisman winners in recent times. Joe Burrow had that season, which was completely insane and may never be seen again. Although Bailey Zappi of Western Kentucky is doing his damnedest to try and match up to that. But you look at Baker Mayfield and you look at Kyler Murray. Before uh, before Joe Burrow as, as quarterback Heisman winners, you know, Bryce Young threw more touchdown passes than Kyler Murray did in fewer games. He threw the same amount as Baker Mayfield. He threw less interceptions than Murray uh, Murray Mayfield and Joe Burrow. He has set program records for single game passing yards, most passing yards by a starting quarterback um, for Alabama in their first game. Set the SEC championship record for passing yards, 421 yards against what was being deemed as an historic Georgia defense. And yeah. and when you put all that together for Bryce Young, for me, that is a that's a Heisman worthy um resume. Yeah, and I, I think the uh, the last point is particularly important when you think about the Heisman, you know, the optics of it is really what matters. Uh, yeah, like I, I agree too, especially with the Georgia point. I mean, you look at Georgia, everyone was high, and, and deservedly so. I mean, I think they allowed like what 76 points in the entire regular season, right? So this was a defense up until Alabama, at least. So this was a defense that was historically dominant. And Bryce Young came in and just tore him apart, right? So, you know, he had some help from Jameson Williams, my guy in that receiving core, but you know. He, he's going to be viewed at he's going to be viewed as the Georgia killer after that game, right? And so I think like you think about who's the best player in the NCAA, it's the guy who actually managed to beat Georgia, and that's Bryce Young, you know. So from an optics standpoint, you know, once you make that argument, it's really tough to make it for anyone else. Like uh, like Aiden Hutchinson, you know, even though he was great, had David Ajabo helping him out on the other side. Kenny Pickett, even though he was great, and you know, you won't hear anyone talk him up more than me, you know, but he he lost to Western Michigan. He got outdueled by Caleb Ellaby, you know, so as great of a player as he was, optically, you're going to look at that and say, all right, I wouldn't take that over, over, um, over Bryce Young, you know, and then CJ Stroud too, you know, losing to Michigan, Aiden Hutchinson was the guy who ultimately beat him, you know, that defense kind of beat that offensive line and forced him to, you know, rely on the ground game a little bit more. So like, even though you can make a case, like if you put those guys head to head, you know, Aiden Hutchinson is the guy who 
put who forced Stroud out of his comfort zone and, and made it so that Ohio State couldn't come back. So you look at that and the conditions that game played a little bit of a hand in it, it was really snowy. It can be a little harder for quarterbacks to get into a rhythm and grip the ball in those conditions. But the fact of the matter is, head to head, Aiden Hutchinson has that win over him. So that makes it even tougher to pick him over Hutchinson. And if you can't even pick Hutchinson over Young, then it becomes tough for anyone else. And I know you and me and Cam, we were all talking about it before the ceremony. Like, we can make a case for all of these guys, but, you know, the, the strongest case by far goes to Bryce Young. And, and that's how it played out. I'm happy for him. He's a very talented player. And, you know, as athletic and as talented as he is in the arm, you know, his poise and kind of resolve under pressure is really what stood out to me this year. You know, time and time again, he stayed composed and he just delivered. And I, I think that's all you can ask for from a Heisman candidate. Yeah, and we, we talk about Heisman mo- moment and kind of what is a Heisman moment? Is it just one play? What, what For me, Bryce Young's, um, the end of the game against Auburn, the whole game against uh, Georgia, yeah. they were Heisman moments, you know? The, the guy seconds on the clock a young quarterback that strike that he found Jacory Brooks with in the Auburn game that took that game to overtime that was you know one of those plays that makes you go wow especially from a young quarterback and then the the scores either side of half time against Georgia that really put the nail in the Georgia SEC championship game coffin you know the 11 yard rushing touchdown yeah. Um, just before the half, the the fifty five yard touchdown, Jameson. Well, you mentioned Jameson Williams, man, what a guy! The, the, what, the a guy. what a guy! The touchdown, the touchdown to Jameson Williams. The that really sealed the deal either side of the half, and and that's what you want to see from your quarterback. You want to see a guy who steps up to the plate in the biggest moments and leads, and and that's what Bryce Young did in those two biggest moments. And and the Heisman has been a. Um, late season award. We we talked about it between ourselves. It's you. What can you? What have you done for me lately? Down the stretch, Bryce Young really showed up and showed out. And we get we can get a what a guy t shirt. All right, that's, we can do that. Let's get in touch with the merchandise department. The what a guy t shirt is coming to a store near yeah. you. Yes, sir. I will say if you're looking for a Heisman moment though, that Kenny Pickett fake slide. Whew, I mean, that was pretty impressive. That was pretty huh. impressive, especially when you look at the end zone angle. Like how he like literally lowers himself halfway. Like we were talking about it. Like I don't know how my knees wouldn't snap trying to do that. But he just makes it look so easy. So, but no, you're absolutely right. You know, it's not just about the moment, like when what happens, but when it happens, where it happens, in what situation. Yeah, I know he made my knees hurt watching that too. I was like, how does he do that? And like that's part of the appeal for Pickett as a prospect, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. You know, over the next few weeks, definitely a lot more discussion to be had with him in this QB class, but. You know, when you when you talk about Heisman moments, right, it's not just about when it happens. That was in the ACC championship, of course. But Bryce Young was playing for a playoff spot, right? Pitt was already out of that conversation. And Bryce Young was immaculate against the best defense in the nation. So once you say that, I don't think there's much else more to say. So that's that's how it played out. But it, it, it's always a fun discussion to have. And I think, you know, you look at all four players, they all accomplished a lot, achieved a lot, and you can't really scoff at anything that they did to get to where they are, you know, especially Stroud, who was had a lot of people doubting him early in the year, Pickett, who was basically written off heading into the season, Hutchinson, who had an injury and, and couldn't quite play at his maximum level last year, and he was kind of written off too, me included. I wasn't super impressed with his tape from last year. I'll take that out. He is he is really shocked me this year, and for the better. He's been a very, very good player, so... You know, all these guys, you kind of just have to tip your hat to them because to get on that stage alone, it's a big deal. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, 
This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And uh, to be fair, can we really call a Heisman moment a Heisman moment if it's now an illegal play in college football? Exactly. Sorry. He changed sorry. the game. Changed <laughs> sorry. The game, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Kenny Pickett. We cannot. Look, those four guys were Heisman worthy. But to me, I sit and watch Ian Cummins do a seven-round mock once <laughs> a right, month. No, and for me, for me, that is Heisman worthy because I, I do a four-round mock draft every month and I'm absolutely exhausted after doing that. The work that goes into the, the seven-round mock draft that Ian does is just mind-blowing, absolutely insane. I want to recognize that and I want to acknowledge it. I want to talk about it tonight because there's a whole host of intriguing picks in Ian's latest seven-round mock, which if you haven't checked it out, get yourself over to profootballnetwork.com. Not right now. Listen to us for a little bit longer, but get down to profootballnetwork.com. Check out Ian's seven-round mock. I want to dig straight into it. And you've mentioned Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett goes first quarter pack off the board, Carolina Panthers, ninth overall. Ian, talk me through that decision. Yeah, so he came as the first quarterback off the board, which is, you know, you look at his play, and it's it's not Ian is awake. Yes, man. I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. Anyway, yeah, I'm gonna stay away now. But yeah, Kenny Pickett is uh the first quarterback off the board in this mock draft. And you know, any other year he wouldn't he'd be QB five the best last year's class. I mean, that's just how we're gonna spin it. Like this class is so weak, you know. And, and before the season, like I, I had trouble saying that because I was like, Yeah, thank God. All right. Yeah, I'm starting to doze off now that you mention it, right? But for those of you who don't know, we'll just get it out of the way. Uh, I had an accounting final before the NFL draft this past April, and I stayed up until 4 a.m. the night before the draft to, to study for this accounting final because I hate accounting, right? So, you know, I ended up passing, but I was so burnt out. I fell asleep during the draft when I was supposed to be updating grading articles, and I woke up at like 3 a.m. and I had messages from everybody in Slack like, where are you? What's going on, man? And uh, I, I told Matt, I felt really bad. I told Matt, sorry, man, I fell asleep. He laughed at me. He said, LOL. I'm like, that was not the response I expected from that. But uh, yeah, so it's, I yeah, it it was rough. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to make sure that doesn't happen again because I've already got a lifetime of flack from that. So that's that's fun. But yeah, going back to Pickett, you know, I, I think if his hands check out, it, it just, I really don't think there's a case to be made. Like, I think he could be QB1 if his hands check out. That's the biggest question for him is that, you know, he has the 8 and 0.25. And I see the question about the gap between Pickett and Corral. I'll get to that in a minute. But, you know, he's got 8 and one fourth inch hands, which is historically small. But I know Tony dropped a nugget on uh, the previous Between the Hashes episode where uh, he has a double-jointed thumb on his throwing hand. And apparently it makes it easier for him to grip the football. I've never heard of that. But, you know, it makes sense if you can grip it from a different angle. It's not going to make your hand bigger. 
but it is going to potentially help you grip the football. I agree. He's going to be overdrafted and, you know, you won't find a bigger picket fan than me, you know, but I'm willing to admit what his flaws are. He doesn't have an elite arm in terms of strength. I like the arm talent, you know, being able to whip it off platform from multiple, you know, platforms you know but the strength is not quite there like i think he has an above average arm but that's where it ends so you look at the nfl those throwing windows that close a little bit quicker he, he likes to take risks especially off script i think that'll come back to bite him but you know the gap between Pickett and corral for me it's and i think there's variance there like the next mock draft i do it might be corral over Pickett. you know every mock draft for me is just basically playing with different kind of scenarios and probabilities. That's what every mock draft should be. I'm not going to have Pickett over Corral every time, you know, because, you know, it's just as likely, I think, especially with the hand size in there, that Corral goes over him. And I think with Corral, we've seen flashes of what he needs to do. You know, like for me, it was always you know, within within Kiffin's scheme. He's been very good. Last year, he was volatile. He definitely toned down that volatility this year, which you really like to see. There were times when the interception would come and then it would come in buckets where he's just kind of in that hole and it's really hard for him to dig out of that. And he tries to take risks to, to get out of that and compensate. And then it ends up just digging a fir- an even deeper hole. You know, so we saw that last year. We didn't see that as much this year. You know, he was a lot more calculated, a lot more measured with his risks, which I liked. At the same time, though, I, I didn't quite see as proactive a passer as I wanted to in structure. You want to see guys do what Pickett does, which um, he's proven he can manipulate guys with his eyes at a high level. You know, and he can do it right off the snap. Very good pre-snap recognition. With Corral, it's just not quite there. It's not quite as consistent. He has proven he can go through his progressions, but, you know, you need to be consistent in the NFL because you're going to be dealing with pressure. You're going to be dealing with tighter coverage sometimes. So that's something I wanted wanted to see more from with Corral. You know, I do think he grew mentally, just not quite to the level where I'd say he's my, you know, bona fide QB1, right? But I do think he's a high-end athlete. You know, you look at his running, you know, not just like athleticism too, but the guy is tough as nails. He'll he'll throw himself into defenders. He does not care. Uh, and then he's got he's got a great arm too. I won't say it's elite, but, you know, it's great. You know, I think, you know, on my scale, eight is great. Nine is elite. It'd probably be like an 8.5, right? I think he's got a very crisp, active throwing motion. He can throw from different arm angles. He can push the ball downfield into tight windows. So he's got – he very much passes the physical thresholds. For me, some of the red flags for him are his frame is a little smaller. And that, you know, that by itself is not an issue for me. What is an issue is that sometimes he's had some durability concerns where he struggles to stay healthy, even mid-game, where, you know, he'll get taken out for a little bit, he'll come back in, but he's clearly not 100%. You know, I look at that and wonder taking hits from NFL defenders will be a little worse for him. But, you know, Pickett has the same deal. He, he had a high ankle sprain uh, in 2020. That knocked him out for a few weeks. He came back and had to and ended up playing on it. His ankle was still swollen, but he's had some injuries too. So that's a red flag for both of them. I just I don't think either of them is strong enough to take the QB one mantle outright. I do think those are my two top contenders right now, though. So you know the next mock draft might be Corral at nine and pick it at twenty four. It's you know you always like to play around with the variance in these, and so. That's ultimately what happened with the picket pick. But if the hand size checks out, I really like Pickett. Again, not elite arm strength, but great off-platform, off-script ability. He's really good evading pressure in the pocket. There's sometimes where he gets a little reckless with his traits. But overall, I like that he has the ability. He has the agility. He can go off-script. He can throw those uh, He can throw those accurate passes with decent velocity off-platform in those you know ad-lib situations where he has to improvise a little bit. And then in the pocket, too. He's been much better in the pocket working with what he sees and manipulating defenders, going through his progressions, keeping his eyes up amidst pressure. So I think that, you know, when you look at his athleticism, his arm, it's good enough. And then, of course, the mental progression that he's shown, 
it's enough for me to say as long as the hand checks out i think he goes to a spot like carolina where they have a decent amount of weapons i think they need to improve the offensive line a lot but he does have the off script ability to withstand adversity early in his early in his career especially with the experience too you know like he's definitely an experienced passer you can tell that the the mental stuff comes a little bit easier for him right now than it does for a lot of the other guys. I think with uh, for me with Corral and Pickett is Pickett's been so solid and in a class that is so murky and so up and down and roller coaster like Pickett's just been solid throughout the season. You know he's he's elevated himself over where he was last year. You know the guy's thrown more touchdowns this season than in the previous four years of his career combined. So the elevation's there. He's been solid all season long. Um, whereas Corral, you know, some of the, you see some of the throws that Corral makes, like even the season opener against Louisville, there was the the strike um, to Dontario Drummond, I think it was, and absolutely into the tightest of window that most quarterbacks couldn't even dream of making. And Corral sometimes makes those throws look look simple. Um, but for for right now, pick it that. The way he's been so solid all season and consistent, he's going to get the opportunity of a senior bowl to prove to NFL decision makers what he can do, what he's like in person, allay some of those fears over the hand size. You know, I, yeah. I had no idea about the disjoint of thumb. And you saw him stroll up on the stage at the Heisman ceremony. And you were like, how the hell did no one ever noticed that yeah. before? Because it's and like, you, you saw not quite right it. there, man. Yeah, if you watch the Between the Hashes episode of me and Tony, I like I made a face when he said that because I was expecting him to talk about the size. I did not expect anything about a disjointed thumb. So I'm like, wait, what? Are you serious? This is a thing? Like, it it how is. Did you, yeah. How did you know one notice it before, man? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it makes sense. I, and looking at images, you can see, like, it does come out at a weird angle. Like, I'm not, I want to see it in person for myself, but it, it does kind of make sense, right? I mean, you look at, you know, whenever you see a guy with that hand size, you want to see if he has trouble in adverse conditions. We had a very good chance to see that against North Carolina. If you remember, fourth quarter overtime, it was a it was a downpour. It was like biblical. I remember the announcer saying it was biblical. It was coming down like in sheets, and it was in overtime. He had to get a touchdown. He had to get in the end zone. He did. I didn't really see a ton of grip issues. There was a little bit of volatility in that stretch where he kind of missed guys high a little bit. There's one that should have been picked off where it, it kind of got it, it tipped off the receiver's hands because it was too high for him. And it looked like the grip would kind of slipped a little bit off his release, but more often than not, and he closed out the game, you know, I give him credit for closing out the game. And, you know, for me, when you have the hands, that that's the biggest concern is can you do it when it's raining, when it's snowing, you know, when it's a little colder, it's a little harder to grip. He did that. You know, he came through. You know, it, but college footballs are different, right? NFL footballs are bigger. So we'll have to see how he adjusts. And we'll do that by getting a look at him at the Senior Bowl at the NFL Combine. And you can bet NFL scouts and evaluators are going to be looking at him with a magnifying glass, all right? They're going to be up close, like, hey, how are the hands? What are the hands doing? So we'll see what the hands say. But until then, we're kind of left waiting, so... We'll um, we could sit here and talk about Kenny Pickett's hands and disjoint thumb all night long, but let's not. Let's press on. Um, a, a guy that's super intriguing um, for me. You brought him up to me a few weeks ago. I went back and watched some tapes. Like oh, I didn't even notice this guy first time out when I watched Washington. Is cornerback Kyler Gordon. Um, you've got him going to Tampa Bay, 28th overall, first round pick for Washington cornerback Kyler Gordon. Tell us a little bit about what there is to love about Kyler Gordon. Yeah, and I see we spent like 10 minutes talking about Pickett alone, so I'm going to try and speed it up a little bit with these guys. Uh, I do think Kyler Gordon is, uh, for me, he's a top five corner, you know, in, in a class with Andrew Booth, Derek Stingley, 
Kyer Elam, uh, Ahmad Gardner. That's that's a high praise, but I think he definitely deserves to be up there. A lot of the issue for him was putting it together, and I think he did that this year. I think he showed that those ball skills on top of his talent, which is immense. I mean, he was a Feldman freak. He's six foot, two hundred pounds, so he's got good size, but he also has a forty-two and a half inch vertical on record, uh, an agility time in the three eights, which is just insane for a guy his size. So he definitely has the athletic traits. I think testing is going to boost him up a lot, and this was his best tape to date. I still think uh, Trent McDuffie, his teammate. A little bit more consistent as a processor, but I think Gordon is good overall there too. So he's a good processor. He's got great athleticism, some of the stickiest coverage I've ever seen. You know, being able to flip your hips and stack direct direction changes and then explode out of those direction changes. He does that with ease, you know, and at his size, that's nothing to scoff at. So I think Kyler Gordon has lockdown potential. And for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, especially, you've seen with Sean Murphy bunting with uh, Jamel Dean. They love to uh, take chances on athletic corners, and more often than not, they can develop them. So I'm taking that chance again with the Kyler Gordon. And also, they've got Vita Vea. They've got Joe Tryon Shoyanka. So the Washington defense pipeline is very strong there. I'm going to go there again. It's, it, hasn't, it hasn't disappointed Tampa Bay yet, so I don't think it will here. Maybe they'll get Dylan Morris to replace Tom Brady. But uh, that, that's wishful <laughs> thinking with that. I don't think anyone's wishing for that, to be honest. <laughs> Look, the cornerback class is deep. You touched on it there. The offensive tackle class for me as well has got a lot of star potential in it. And one of those guys is Bernard Ryman, the offensive tackle, left tackle at uh, Central Michigan. You've got him going overall 58th to the Baltimore Ravens. How do you like the fit? Yeah, I, I love the fit here. I think you look at the Ravens, Ronnie Stanley dealing with injuries. And then on the other side, obviously, you know, it was Villanueva, but they've had to move around a lot of things. Fact of the matter is, at the very least, they need one more tackle. And then I'd, I'd argue that you should get tackle depth beyond that, too. I think Bernard Raymond has a good chance to rise a lot again uh, down the stretch. He was also on Feldman's Freaks list. And he's definitely a very athletic guy on tape. He moves really well. Uh, he gets to the second level with ease. Uh, there, his tape is really funny because he plays at Central Michigan. He's a former tight end, uh, packed on some pounds and became a tackle. And there's some moments on that tape where, you know, the entire line is imploding to the right of him. And he's at left tackle on an island, like five yards up, just mauling his guy, just ha has his guy in the dirt. Like it's, it's insane sometimes, but he's a fun player. I think he has good enough power, good functional strength. Uh, the, the, but by far the calling card for him is that easy moving ability, that athleticism, the recovery ability. You know, I think it's all there at high levels for him. And then on top of that, if he can pack on a little bit more weight at the NFL level, if he can carry that weight well, you know, I don't think he has elite length, but I think he has a lot of the traits that you want. He attacks guys with his hands, you know, so I think he's trending up. He's definitely one of those athletic talents. He's going to be a little bit older as a rookie, I think 25 years old. But as we've seen, I mean, we saw Andrew Whitworth. He just, he, he became the first left tackle to start at 40 years old. So he's given a, a new definition to the word young. And I think that, you look at Raymond, you look at offensive tackles, being able to play well into their 30s and maybe even close to 40. You know, the, the shelf life isn't as much of a concern for an offensive tackle as it is for, you know, a running back or wide receiver for me. So I think Raymond has a really good chance to, you know, take one of those starting tackle spots for Baltimore and help them kind of re revamp that offensive line because they definitely need it. I absolutely promise this wasn't set up in any shape, form or fashion, but you mentioned the Los Angeles Rams. You mentioned yeah. Andrew Whitworth. You've got Tyler Smith, the Tulsa offensive tackle, going to the Rams at 101st overall in your seventh rounder. Tell me a little bit about Tyler Smith, because he's not a guy that a lot of people will have heard of. 
Yeah, yeah. He's and I asked one of my Rams buddies. I was like, "Hey, who do I go here?" Because like it's pick one hundred one. You're you're gonna be lucky to get any anything of value. You know, like and, and you know I shouldn't say that. You can always find gems, but you know the the value of the higher picks is a higher hit rate. You know, and you get a chance to get your guy at one hundred one. It's gonna be slim pickings a little bit. If you're looking for a guy who can contribute right away, you really got to know what you're looking for. And I think Tyler Smith is a guy. You know, I'm not sure if he declares, but if he does, redshirt sophomore from Tulsa. And, uh, yeah, like, it, it's odd to see a redshirt sophomore from, like, a group of five team uh, thinking about declaring. But that's the type of player that Tyler Smith is. He's very talented. He's around 6'6", 330. He definitely has the NFL size that you look for. And then on tape, dude, he's really athletic for his size. He moves really well. You know, I think he can get to the second level. And he's an absolute mauler, too. He, he really – he's very physical, very violent with his hands. For me, it's just a matter of, you know – for offensive linemen, you need to have good positioning and timing with your extensions. Like you can't just extend toward a guy. You got to be in the right spot when you do it. And I think that for Tyler Smith, that science is still very much in progress with him. I think it's coming along, but he's definitely not consistent there with his positioning and his hand placement. So he's working on it, but I think all the physical traits are there. And I think if you're the Rams, you know, maybe hopefully uh, you can develop him up and make him into that next starting tackle. I think he definitely has the physical talent. And when you're at pick 101, I would kind of err on that over a lower ceiling guy who can maybe be a decent starter, but not not what you need enough to provide consistent protection for your quarterback. So I think Tyler Smith, a young guy who's trending up and has shown that high level play before and has the high level traits, that's something I'm, I'm banking on because that's a guy that I think maybe I would target in round three if I had a pick there. So if I'm the Rams looking at that valuation, that was my thought process, just try and beef up that offensive line. Let's stay in Los Angeles. Let's switch sides of the trenches. You mentioned the word Mauler there. Saika Ika out of yes. Baylor, the defensive tackle. Dude has arms bigger than my legs. You've got him going to the Los Angeles Chargers at 125. He's kind of a bit of an unknown guy. Sell sell everyone on this dude. I mean, if, if you watch that Big 12 championship game, I don't think I need to sell you. I think you've seen it by now. I mean, Ali, did you see him in that game, man? I mean, he was... He was Different wrecking beast. everything. Different beast. My God. And I mean, like, it sounds like hyperbole, but I, I, I it sounds like hyperbole, but I kid you guys, it, it was not hyperbole. I mean, this guy was consistently generating disruption, consistently pushing back the pocket. And this is like a 6'5", 340 pound guy. So he's like, you know, not a small guy, but he's over here just wrecking everything and definitely has the athleticism for that size to be a very solid nose tackle. When you look at nose tackles today, you know, the, the two-gap space-eating style isn't quite as prominent in the NFL anymore. You want these guys to have some pass-rushing upside, and he definitely showed that. He had two sacks against Oklahoma State, so I think that, you know, the athleticism is definitely there with him. Former LSU guy who transferred to Baylor with Dave Aranda and really just showed out this year. So beyond his pass-rushing upside, though, too, he gives you the utility that you look for from nose tackles, which is, you know, he's strong enough to hold that point and then he can kind of manipulate those angles and make those adjustments at the last second, can surge into into ball carriers. And, you know, he's really, really good at manipulating the interior and, and making those timely surges when he needs to. And so I look at that and I, I see a guy, again, he's another retro sophomore. He's a little younger, but is really coming into his own. And if he were to declare, I do think that, you know, late day two, early day three is not out of the question for him. And I, I love his fit with uh, with the Chargers. Because the Chargers kind of need a nose tackle and some three techs. You look at, you know, Jerry Tillery, 
hasn't quite been as consistent as they wanted and they need a guy opposite him. And then I think Linville Joseph is scheduled to be a free agent too. So I look at that, you know, I think Siaki Ika kind of plays a dual purpose here because not only he he's a very good replacement for Joseph, I think a really high upside replacement, but having a solid nose tackle in there, you know, he's going to be eating up double teams and he can also splice through those. But then, you know, even when he's eating those double teams up, he's freeing up opportunities for those three tacks and your edge rushers to take on some one-on-one -on -one opportunities which is what you want. You're, you want your defensive line to play off of one another. I think Siaki Ika really does that well. So he might not declare if he does or if he stays in school. He's on my short list for defensive tackles next year. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, I could talk every single um, pick in this seven-round mock draft, all 256 of them, I think we're at at the moment. And yeah. you can do, you can read for it yourself, profootballnetwork.com, you find Ian's uh, seven-round mock on there. I want to finish off with one guy. You talked about late-round goals. Um, Velas Jones Jr., the wide receiver from Tennessee. You've got him sticking around and going to the Tennessee Titans at 208th overall, I think it was. Tell us about Velas Jones. He's a guy who's going to the senior bowl. He's an exciting prospect, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think he averaged 28 yards per catch this year, which is pretty good, right? <laughs> I'm not sure, but I think that's pretty good. But, uh, you know, six foot 200, and then he's a very good speed threat, too. He's really explosive, but I think he has decent contact balance, too. I think he has that dual-sided, deep threat, run-after-catch threat that you're looking for. Like, not only can he, you know, extend the field and make those plays downfield, but you give him a short pass, he can take it a little ways, too. So I think, you know, having that dual-sided ability it's very fun. He only had 18 catches and, you know, he's going to be an older guy too. I think he's been around the league since 2016. So he's going to be 24, 25 when he, when he enters the NFL. So, you know, that kind of relegates him to a late round pick, but, you know, in that range, I really like, you know, the value that he provides for a, a Tennessee team that, you know, one gets a guy who's familiar with the area. So, you know, we've seen that familiarity or lack thereof can be an issue for some rookies. You know, sometimes they they end up not producing a ton where they're at. And it turns out they just need to go back home. You know, they're more comfortable back home. And I think, you know, having that for Vilas Jones where he can stay where he's at is an underrated factor, but it can help with that familiarity, that comfort. And then I think that also you look at, you know, the injuries that have impacted the receiving core this year, you know, they need some more depth. And I think Vilas Jones, on top of his dynamic ability, could be a guy who can just kind of help them kind of roll along if injuries strike again next year. You know, it's, it's one of those picks where, you know, I, I see a lot of upside, but there's very little downside too. And especially in round seven, just take a, take a chance on it. You know, that was kind of my thought process. Nice. One guy who won't be in the 2022 NFL draft, we know that for sure, is Spencer Rattler, quarterback yeah. from, well, not from Oklahoma. From uh, South Carolina, from recently. Oklahoma to South from Carolina. From Oklahoma to yeah, South yeah. Carolina, maybe not with some love either. Um, <laughs> Ian, firstly, kick us off with the the fit of South Carolina. It's a bit of a shocker for some. What do you think to the move? Yeah, and before I do, real quick, I wrote down some guys in my seven rounder uh, in the later rounds that there. These are some of my favorite fits. Again, if you guys want to see how your team did, go and look at it. It's on the site. But some of my favorite fits that. 
We also that I also want to touch on the Broncos getting Jalen Cropper. I love that one. Uh, he's a really dynamic receiver with good rack ability, good route running. I think just one of those guys. Again, I don't know if he declares, but a fun pick. Uh, Bamadeli Olasani, massive Utah offensive lineman. Going to Buffalo. Buffalo needs some offensive line help, and I think that Olasani, I know Cam mentioned it to us, but he did pretty well against Kayvon Thibodeau in the uh, Pac-12 championship, so he could be a fun player to watch. Matthew Butler to the Packers. Ali knows this is my guy, one of the most explosive DTs in the draft, uh, and I think he fits really well as that three-tech replacement for uh, Dean Lowry, Tyler Lancaster. And then one more, I got Zay Flowers to the Bengals. That one was kind of an evil genius type pick uh, with Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, all those guys drawing attention. You know, you could have Zay Flowers running free in the intermediate range and just let him eat up space, and he's very explosive once he gets the ball. So fun picks. Uh, But, yeah, like you said, one guy who's not going to be in there is Spencer Rattler going to South Carolina. And, you know, this one didn't really hit me. It, It didn't really blindside me. I kind of expected I didn't expect it per se, but, you know, it was on my short list of places where he could go. You know, I thought maybe he'd pick a place with a better talent base. You know, I think he's kind of working from the ground up in South Carolina. A lot depends on what Josh Van does, you know, if he's the top target. So I don't know if he comes back or declares, but, you know, and I think I think he's a senior right now. So he might have exhausted his eligibility. I'm not sure, but I'll have to go back and check. But the fact of the matter is he doesn't quite have the same amount of talent that he did in Oklahoma that he has in South or that he has in South Carolina. Or he doesn't have the same amount of talent. In South Carolina, they had in Oklahoma. He's kind of working from the ground up here. So I think getting tight end Austin Stogner helps a little bit with that. Stogner also going to South Carolina. So you got that familiarity with him. I think he's going to rely heavily on him. And also Shane Beamer, who was the assistant head coach for the offense for Oklahoma before he came to South Carolina. So I think the familiarity is definitely a big part of it with Spencer Rattler. You know, I the talent is going to be an issue, but also I do think you know, if you have a if you have a good offensive line, you know, that's that's one of the big issues right here. You know, make sure he's protected because I know that Oklahoma line, although they have some guys on there, it didn't quite mesh to the level that you would have hoped this year. And that impacted Rattler at times that impacted his comfort and kind of forced him to take some risky decisions, kind of rush into some throws a lot. So, you know, I think that that is the priority for Shane Beamer. Make sure he has a line that can you know keep him safe, keep him comfortable. And then beyond that, make sure he has weapons too. Uh, but it, it's you're going to have to do a little bit more work in the offseason. But I think from a pure familiarity, comfort standpoint, I can understand and respect the decision from Rattler because I would much rather be comfortable with my offensive cast, you know, my, my staff, than, you know, going to a whole new place. And maybe you have more talent, but, you know, maybe it doesn't mesh. I think it, it's kind of an underrated aspect going to Shane Beamer because they do have a history, they do have a pre-existing relationship, and you know that's that's something you can build off even without top-end talent around you. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting one with Spencer Rattler because myself, like so many people, um, came into this season with Spencer Rattler as the de facto quarterback one of the 2022 NFL draft class mm-hmm. and a potential Heisman winner as well. And you kind of look at Spencer Rattler, and, and there's, there's a lot of people who go, oh, these these analysts who had Spencer Rattler being the quarterback one, what do they know, what do they know? It, it's it's so difficult with, with quarterbacks, but he came into the season. If you watched his tape from last season, I, I, I studied Spencer Rattler over the summer, and if you watched his game sequentially from last year, you saw a guy who got better and better and better and better through the 2020 college football season. He got an excellent arm. He's got excellent arm strength. He's got impressive arm talent. Strength and talent are two very different things, but yeah. this is a guy who can 
zip a ball in on the short and intermediate throws, a guy who can throw well on the run, a guy who ideally you don't want your quarterback throwing back across his body. But Spencer Rattler is a, a guy who has the arm talent to be able to throw back across his body and do it well and make it look good and make it work. And he's a guy who's got decent athletic ability, who can make plays out of the pocket. He can maneuver well within the pocket. He spent through through the 2020 season, he he got better at maneuvering in the pocket. He got better at evading pressure in the pocket. Didn't take a lot of sacks. Started off the season with ball control, uh, ball security issues, should I say. So a few fumbles. The, the, tur- the turnovers early on in the season in terms of interception. And, and as the season worked through, he worked out a lot of that stuff. And so you come to a guy who is ascending. He's on an upward trajectory from a talent perspective. So, of course, he, you look at this quarterback class that has obviously had its detractors compared to last season's class. And there, right there is a guy who's on an upward trajectory, who's got all the things that the NFL look for. And then it just seemed to all go wrong. He just regressed. Yeah. He regressed back to his start of 2020 self. Some of the maturity issues that have been well documented since he was in high school. You know, let's not forget the, the Spencer Rattler that was the star of the QB1 series on Netflix. You know, there was some, you know, some some issues there with the guy from a personality standpoint. And those seem to seep back through this season. Um, and obviously the benching, the 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 indice the, 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 the Bad, poor decision making. Let's call it that, for want of a better phrase. And um, the poor decision making that crept in, and, and it just—it all seemed to fall apart. So you kind of hope that, for his sake, there's a talent there. You know, there's a talent there that if he goes to USC and and unlocks that, hopefully it's a, a an opportunity to prove himself against SEC defenses as well next season, um, and really re resurrect let's say his um college football career and his, and his nfl draft prospects yeah i like that he didn't shy away from the challenge in the sec you know like that was a that was a something we were watching for right like he could go to a place like western kentucky and put up major numbers but you know at the end of the day that's not going to look good from an optics perspective for nfl scouts like okay well he kind of downgraded in terms of his competition level so going to south carolina i like it he has familiarity and he has a chance to prove himself against high-level competition. That's big. You know, I think that it, it was very weird. Yeah, like you said, I mean, you know, in 2020, definitely trended up all year. You want to see that linear growth from a quarterback. And then this year, it just kind of all crumbled. Like you said, I think that, you know, when he was on this year, he was efficient enough for sure. He was very efficient. But when he was off, you know, he was fading back in the pocket a lot. His mechanics definitely took a little bit of a regression. And then the decision-making, too. He takes some very uncharacteristic risks. And it just didn't seem consistent enough from the process side of things. So I think that, you know, looking, like you said, he's got talent, but can he build on that? Can he, you know, kind of reset the ship and keep growing in South Carolina? That's going to be the big issue for him. But, you know, if you're going to go to a place, if you're going to get a change of scenery at all and try to grow, I think kind of leaning on that familiarity that you have with Shane Beamer uh, is is a great place to start. And they've already got Austin Stogner coming at tight end. So hopefully, maybe, with Rattler and Beamer, uh, with things looking up there, maybe they get more in the transfer portal. And as we've seen, teams can basically reinvent themselves with the transfer portal. So, you know, we'll see if South Carolina keeps building in, in that respect. One of the guys that is in the transfer portal 
hasn't found a destination yet is Auburn, former Auburn quarterback, Bo Nix. I mean, we presume he's still in the transfer portal. Tank Bigsby went in the portal at the same time and he's back out again. But Mm -hmm. Bo Nix is almost definitely still in the transfer portal, hasn't found a new home yet. Ian, I'm going to let you take over with Bo Nix because I, I know, I know you've took a lot of flack both online, internally within Pro Football Network, within our group chats, for your love of Bonix. So I, I <laughs> well it's so. it's it's an understanding is what it is. All right. Like here, here's 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 my deal. Here's my deal with prospects. You'll you'll never hear me. Yeah, I, I did this early on and I try to shy away from it now. I'll, you'll never hear me say that it I'll, I'll at least try not to say that the guy is just outright bad, you know, because yeah, I, I think they're all kids trying to make their way in the NFL, you know, to the NFL draft. So, you know, I'd like to afford them a little more respect. And so that's what I try to do with Bo Nix, even though like, you know, from a college football perspective, you're like, yeah, he's a bad quarterback. Right. But, you know, as an NFL draft evaluator, I try to go a little bit more nuanced with my evaluations. And so, you know, I, I remember coming in the summer, they assigned me the draft profile for Bo Nix. And my first thought was, yeah, it's probably not going to be great, right? But, and it wasn't. Like, there were, there was definitely a lot wrong with his tape, definitely a lot of flaws. But he's a talented player, man. He's a high-level athlete. He's got a great arm. You know, and he, you know, off-script ability is what I look for. And he can, like, he can throw a very impressive passes off-platform. He can generate velocity. He can throw with accuracy. The problem with him has always been consistency. And we saw that this year. You know, really didn't improve there. You know, there were a few games where maybe he flashed improvement, right? But... The thing about doing work in structure is that you might do the right thing once or twice. Like everyone does the right thing once or twice, but you have to do it, you know, again and again and again, you know, you have to be consistent. We never quite saw that with Knicks and we see, you know, when things crumble around him, he has the athleticism and the evasion ability to make some crazy talented plays. I mean, there was the one against LSU, I think, where he like evaded three guys, went right and then left and, and all the way to the sideline. And then saw a guy in the end zone and pushed it 30 yards downfield, rolling to his left and managed to fit it in there. You know, so he definitely has that talent. It's just, can he, you know, supplement that with mental growth? We haven't seen that three years into his career. Are we going to see it next year? I tend to, when I, when we see guys stagnate like that, I tend to be a little pessimistic, right? But I, you never want to rule it out because as we've seen with like, with Pickett, for example, I don't think Pickett is quite as naturally talented as Knicks, but I, I do think, with Pickett, you know, it, it was a thing where drops, injuries, you know, sometimes the supporting cast around him was an issue at times earlier in his career. Now everything came together and we see that he's coming into his own and has become a very good prospect. So I think that you look at that, you know, sometimes it just takes guys longer to bloom. Will it happen with Knicks? I think the thing with Knicks is he has to go to a place. One, I don't quite trust him to, you know, if there's an incumbent starter, I don't, trust him a ton to win that battle, right? Because he needs to improve in structure. And I think he needs more reps to do that, right? So, you know, you can't get reps if you're not the starter. So I think he has to go to a place that's losing their starter and is going to have a little bit more of an open competition. That's going to be big for him. I would love to see him join forces with a a solid quality offensive mind and a good quarterback coach who can help him improve in structure. Because until he does that, guys, he's going to be a position switch candidate. I mean, that's just how it is, you know? Like, he's he has the high-end athleticism, and he has the arm talent, but beyond that, he very much still a work in progress, you know, and I want to see him be more consistent, get, get a coaching staff who's proven in their ability to make things work. As far as school fits go, I don't have a ton in mind right now. I think it's up to Nick's to kind of research that and see where he can go. But, you know, you got to go to a place where 
you have some assurances that you're going to get a chance to prove yourself and then also a coaching staff that's willing and able to develop your talents. I think that's big for him. And, uh, you know, if he needs to do a downgrade, go to the AAC or the CUSA, so be it. Just go to a place where you can develop. I feel like that's that's key for Knicks. I, I, how far can he elevate his stock next year? He's got the talent to be an early round pick, but, you know, does he have the mental progression and consistency? Right now, no. You know, if he, if he declared this year, which obviously he hasn't, he's going back. But if he declared this year, he'd probably be an undrafted free agent. But, you know, he can work his way into draftable range if he can grow mentally. That's the biggest thing for him. I hope it happens. I hope we see it happen because if we can, at his peak potential, I think he has a lot of, you know, I think he has a lot of upside. Yeah, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head right there where Bonix is concerned. It is that mental side of his game and it's the consistency. Because yeah. like you say, he's got the decent foundations, sorry, the foundations of a decent quarterback nestled in somewhere there. He just needs to consistently be able to, to okay. So I, I did did have a look at a few off the top of my head, potential destinations for, for Bonix. And you look at teams that are losing their starting quarterback, um, Nebraska, for example, Adrian Martinez has just left Nebraska. They have just got Mark Whipple, the offensive coordinator from Pitt, who, has, as we've seen this year, has done wonders for Kenny yeah. Pickett's draft stock. So Nebraska Whenever Pickett talks about what's gone into his rise, he brings up Whipple a lot. So I think that would be a really good fit for him. Also allow him to kind of integrate his running ability a little bit more. Yeah, Nebraska's there. Cincinnati, obviously losing Desmond Ritter. They've got Evan Pre- They've got Evan Prater. I think was a four-star career. I think they think very highly of him at Cincinnati, but he's he's not had a lot of experience. Maybe you bring in a guy um, like Bonix who could take over that offense. They've had decent offensive lines down there. Helps him develop behind a solid offensive line at Cincinnati. Notre Dame did a, quite a lot of uh, let's not get carried away but they they did a little bit of work with Jack Cohn this season in, who's looked probably the best that he's looked in his his college career um Ole Miss obviously losing Matt Corral they seem to be a front runner for for guys like Dylan Gabriel and they're certainly a front runner to capture Arch Manning's signature as well but Ole Miss would would provide a, a an opportunity for him to stay in the SEC put up in incredible numbers perhaps um, and then maybe somewhere like UCF, a reunion with Gus Malzahn at UCF. Although famously, Gus Malzahn had Bonix thrust upon him by the boosters rather than choosing him over Jerry Gatewood. So I'm not quite sure how Gus Malzahn would feel about that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's potential, potential there for a, a landing spot for Bonix. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, I think on one hand, too, that's a because Nix is kind of legacy at Auburn, right? So I think you, you look at, you know, the opportunity, like you said, it was kind of thrust on Malzahn. You know, I think there's a lot of pressure on Knicks to be the guy because of that legacy element. Now, entering the transfer portal, he has a chance to maybe be his own guy, you know, and go to a place where he, you know, researches and feels that he's most comfortable as opposed to, hey, you know, you're the future at Auburn. You have to make this work, right? I feel like there's a little bit more flexibility, a little bit more freedom for him. And I hope that he makes it work again because he is a talented guy. We got to see it play out. But I think what you're prioritizing here, is not legacy or optics. It's finding a coaching staff that can help you become the quarterback you want to be and that you can be with the talent. You know, I never, you know, he's kind of become a punching bag on the, like in the college football sphere. You know, we see that a lot, but you know, when you look, when you delve down into the traits, there's a lot more play there. He's a talented player. Can he make it work? Sometimes guys do, sometimes they don't, you know, for Knicks, I think some of it is in his hands right now. You know, some of his destiny is, you know, for him to decide and it's it's tough there's a lot of pressure there but 
you know, you've got time now to kind of sift through the options and make your choice and go to a place where you can become your best self. I feel like that's, that's a big thing for him. So I hope he cho chooses the right place, find a coaching staff that can help develop your talents. That's key. For sure. For sure. Look, Let's finish up. We're going to take some questions at the end, but just one thing we wanted to finish up with was some of the prospects that are going to be taking to the field, maybe for the final time for their university and college football program. It's bowl season, my most fabulous time of the year. Forget Christmas, bowl season is truly the most wonderful time of the year. Ian, kick us off with uh, a couple of guys you're excited to watch for in the, the upcoming raft of bowl games because we've got some good ones this weekend. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, you know, there's still news coming in as to whether players are playing in these games. Sometimes the guys opt out and, uh, you know, we're going to get caught up on that as the week progresses, as more announcements come in. But, you know, as far as I'm as I've seen, we haven't seen a ton of those opt out announcements yet. So it looks like most of these rosters are pretty filled up. I think obviously you had to look at Eastern Michigan versus versus Liberty. Malik Willis going to the senior bowl going to have a big chance to up his stock there. But, you know, at this point, there's not a lot he can do in season to, to boost it. The Senior Bowl is really the next big checkpoint for him. But I do think ending on a high note against the Eastern Michigan defense that should be vulnerable against the guy with his talents, that'll be big. So we'll be watching him there. But whatever happens, if he you know throws three more interceptions or throws five touchdowns and runs for two more, you know whatever happens, it's not going to be a big notch up or down for his stock. You know, the Senior Bowl is the next very big opportunity for him. That's that's the most important thing on his schedule right now. But I do think that's worth watching. Uh, Toledo versus – who are they facing? I had it in my mind for a sec. Versus MTSU. I feel like there were two defensive back prospects in that group that uh, are both in the Shrine Bowl, I think, right? Tyson Anderson and Reed Blankenship. I think those are two Shrine Bowl guys. Uh, very excited to see those two. Blankenship is one of those kind of rangy, experienced guys who's been productive over his career. You know, I remember we were talking about him. Cam and Ali had me thinking he was like 25 years old. They're like, he's been around since 2014. No, man, he's younger than me. But um, he is he's an interesting player, a guy who, you know, I don't think he'll be an early or mid-round pick, but, you know, maybe as a late rounder on draft free agent, gets an opportunity with the team. I think his experience is veteran savvy, and I don't think he's a bad athlete. So I think that that alone might allow him to earn a spot in the roster. Tyson Anderson, very versatile, lengthy or safety prospect. You know, he can move around a lot. He can make plays on the ball. He can come into the box and make and make things happen. So he's another enforcer type that I'm really looking forward to watching. Uh, just looking at the games real quick, I'll, I'll give a couple more names and then I'll hand it off to you, Ali, and whoever you want to see. But for me, another one is Coastal Carolina wide receiver Jivon Hiley. Uh, he's a dynamic receiver who I was really impressed with on my first watch. I think he can be a gem in the later rounds. Uh, and then I think BYU, I think you got to look at Tyler Algier, that running back. I know Kent. Math Bomb, our resident RAS expert, is a big fan of Algier, and with good reason. I mean, this is a guy, a former linebacker, who uh, really plays with that tenacity that you'd expect out of a linebacker. And he's 5'11", 220, so great size, uh, really, really good contact balance. Not an elite athlete, I don't think, but has really good elusiveness for his style. He's a really energetic runner, so really excited to see him cap off his career and then hit the uh, draft circuit. Yeah, and those games, they've got a whole ton of prospects on top of them. You know, Toledo game, Jamal Heisen, Deshaun Johnson, um, dynamic defensive end duo who've spent the entire season in the opposition backfield. Eastern Michigan, they've got um, offensive lineman, City So, uh, an absolute mauler in the ground game yeah. um, who, you know, he reaps what he sows. 
Let's put it that way. He is he's oh, an absolute he's an absolute beast. Um, let, moving away from those games, though, I mean you've covered off quite a, a few of the the games um, that are taking place certainly this weekend. Um, I like uh, Aaron Mosby down at Fresno State. Yeah, uh, a guy versatile defensive piece. He's six four, two forty six pounds. He's played outside linebacker. He's played defensive end for for Fresno State. He's uh, he flies around the field, man. He spends his entire life living in the opposition backfield, and he brings that versatility as well. He's a guy who's going to the Shrine Bowl. I expect him to to be one of the best players that's on the field at the Shrine Bowl as well. But Fresno State face UTEP. Um, they've got a, a great wide receiver prospect in Jacob Cowan as well. Yeah. So Fresno State are going to uh, they're a bit of flux because of the change of coaching staff. The will they won't they with Jake Hayner. And so defensively, I think they'll lean on the defense. And, and Aaron Mosby is a guy who certainly you should be watching out for. Um, and then just finally from me, Marcus Cox, the left tackle at uh, Northern Illinois. You mentioned Northern Illinois and Coastal Carolina. Mm. Cox, 6'6", six, uh, six, six, 306 pounds. His uh, size, length, really impressive arm length, uh, powerful in the run game, extremely athletic. He can used to be a little bit more consistent. Um, but he's uh, he's a prospect you should watch. You don't hear his name mentioned a lot. And mm-hmm. I think Northern Illinois, MAC champions this year, they've got a couple of guys. Clint Rakovic, the fullback, who is heading to the uh, Shrine Bowl. He's a, a, an interesting piece as well. Yeah. Yeah. For those of you, if, you, if you're old school, if you like fullbacks, Clint Rakovic is your guy. I mean, that guy is a, he's a fun player. But yeah, a lot of fun prospects. I suppose if that is it for our schedule, let's get on to the questions that we had left for us here on the uh on the side of the screen all right we got matthew canada i've never seen this guy before i assume he's a big fan but uh like what qv is a dark horse candidate to have the best nfl career now this is an interesting one in this class i don't know ali my my instincts are saying i don't know it's tough you can't really commit to any of these guys right i think uh, the the instincts for me would be you know i think because a lot of these guys have bus potential yeah, thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. But yeah, a lot of these guys have bust potential. So, you know, I think you look at a guy like Carson Strong. If the knee checks out mentally and from an arm talent perspective, he's uh he's up there. And I think if he enters a very good situation, I had him go to the Broncos in my mock draft. If he enters a good situation with weapons and protection, I think he could be he could be it. Uh, on the flip side, Malik Willis, if he figures things out on the mental side, he might need a year or two to calibrate but his upside is by far the highest in the class athleticism arm talent so those are my answers ali what are you going with yeah i i am an unashamed member of the malik willis fan club um i, I don't think there's a quarterback with a better arm in the class there certainly is an, a quarterback who is more talented on the ground but for me i think bailey zappi at western kentucky because oh. <laughs> the the reason being is this right you can go into that offense at western kentucky and you can put up all those numbers it doesn't mean anything but when you sit and you watch bailey zappi you watch what he's done at houston baptist at western kentucky he's one of the smartest i would say he's the smartest quarterback in the 2022 nfl draft class the guy has been on all academic teams throughout his entire high school and college career. So he's a smart guy. You watch him um, when he takes to the field, pre-snap, post-snap. His ability to read the game is off the charts. And at the quarterback position, we know how important that is. You know, we've spoken about Spencer Rattler earlier in this show, that he lacks the sometimes the decision-making, the mental aspect. He stares down his receivers at times. He, he's, all, he's unable to read coverages at times. 
That is not a problem with Bailey Zappi. And then you look at the arm. Yeah, he might not have the Malik Willis absolute howitzer or the Desmond Ritter arm or, you know, Ian mentioned Carson Strong, who has got, ironically, the strongest arm potentially in this class. Bailey Zappi hasn't got that arm. He's not going to throw the ball 70 yards down the field, but he's got a decent arm. He can throw, he's got a decent arm talent. He can work the ball so well in terms of placement. He's very accurate, throws with anticipation, um, throws with enough velocity in the short to intermediate areas. And, and they're the things that when you're evaluating quarterback play, he ticks almost all the boxes. You know, he's not Malik Willis on the, the ground, but he's more mobile than Carson Strong, for example. So he, he ticks for me all the boxes that hopefully a team can look past the Western Kentucky um, offense and the offensive scheme and go, look, there is a guy that can play quarterback at the next level. Because I honestly believe Bailey Zappi is the guy that can. Yeah, he's tough too. He's a very tough competitor. Let's exactly. get on to, our, and on to our next one. We got Clint Cap. I don't know this guy either. I don't know who this is. But, you know, he's saying, is Kenneth Walker RB1 in this class? I think, um, I don't know, for me – Short answer, no. Long answer, you know, he's the best pure runner in the class. I don't think that's, you know, for me, that's not for debate. I mean, you look at how he runs. He is an insanely talented runner. He's very balanced, explosive. He has the best, some of the best instincts I've seen in my short career as an evaluator. But, you know, he's very instinctive, you know, with how he uses short spaces, sets himself up. Uh, But on passing downs, that's the big thing for him. He's not super consistent on passing downs doesn't get used a lot as a receiver, never had a ton of volume there. And then when he does pass block, he's below average there too. He's not very he's not a very good pass blocker. He can get better. That's that's something you can develop. But for an NFL coach trying to get him on the field right away, you know, they want to they want to be able to keep their running backs in on third downs too when he might have to protect his quarterback. And I don't trust Walker in that phase though. But if he can improve that, if he can improve his pass catching ability, his running ability, his pure running is off the charts. Uh, for right now though, I think you look at guys like Brees Hall and Isaiah Spiller and Kyron Williams even, they offer a lot more on passing downs than Walker does. But if he can improve that, I think he's the best pure runner in the class. So the foundation is there. you know. And if, you, if you're an old-school coach who likes to run a lot more, you know, Walker is a very reliable engine to, to carry that offense through. That's my, that's my take. What about you, Alan? Yeah, I'm prone to agree with that in terms of the Walker as a runner, as a pure runner, he makes at least two or three plays every game that yeah. made you go, wow. You remember that, that cut that, that cut downfield against Maryland? Like he, the guy's made of a titanium alloy, I'm convinced, because his knee bent at like a 45-degree angle, and he just kept all his speed. Like it's insane. But uh, yeah, receiving needs to improve. Yeah, that, that play was the, the play that spawned the tweet. Um, Kenneth Walker with the cut that a pair of scissors would be proud of. And that was um, that was something, man. But like I say, every game you see one or two plays like that of Kenneth Walker that just make you go, "Wow, that guy is the real deal." And um, but like you say, the, some of the the pass protection, some of the pass catching stuff, and and we've seen the NFL really is trending towards having three down running backs. And Isaiah Spiller came into this cycle for me as the the RB one of the class. He's not had a super season for Texas A and M, but then again, I don't think any of the Texas A and M prospects that we were well I certainly was so high on coming into the season you know Kenyon Green has not had a super season Jalen Widemeyer hasn't had a great year you know the Texas A&M guys have have not had the greatest of seasons but Isaiah Spiller's got the footwork he's got the vision he's put together so well in terms of 
um, developing him as a pass blocker. There's still some technical issues there, but he's physically well put together as a pass blocker. When he's used as a receiver by the Texas A&M offense, he's a great receiver. I don't think he's the best receiving back in the class, not by a long stretch. But when you put all those three things together, I think Isaiah Spiller um, is, is, for me, at present, until I go back and watch these guys again, I think Isaiah Spiller is, is still just the RB1 for me. Yeah, and that's going to be fun when reordering the RB position. I feel like that's going to be one where stuff moves around a lot, but we'll have time to talk about that in a later episode, I feel like. Thanks, everyone. Uh, we'll, we'll see you tomorrow at 3 ET for PFM Weekly. Trey Wingo's more than football. And then me and Ali, of course, will be back next Tuesday again at 5 o'clock. Hopefully, we'll keep it a little shorter. Uh, this is uh, our first time on video, so we, uh, we uh, really uh, kind of took our liberties with the time limit. But we'll make sure to keep it at least 50 minutes. I can see Cody yawning. Matt's like it's nap time. Yeah, thanks, Matt. You know, keep it up, bro. Keep it up. That's all I got to say. But uh, yeah, for until next time, guys, we're going to wrap it up before we go to 6.30 or 7 o'clock. We're just going to wrap it up. Until next time, peace out. Thank you so much for joining us on Between the Hashes.